The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. A movie, Talladega Nights, um, there is an imaginary famous race car driver named Ricky Bobby. And Ricky Bobby is surrounded by his family uh, the day before a big race, and they are gathered around the table, and Ricky decides to say grace. And he starts his prayer by saying, dear baby Jesus. And then he continues praying to dear baby Jesus, and he gives dear baby Jesus thanks for the bountiful harvest of Domino's and KFC and Taco Bell. Finally, his wife interrupts him and says, hey, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. And Ricky says, well, you know what? I like Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus, teenage Jesus, bearded Jesus. You can say it to whoever you want. And his wife says, you know what I want? I just want you to do this grace good so that God will give you a win tomorrow. Ricky continues in his prayer, dear tiny Jesus and your golden fleece diapers. And then his best friend, Cal, who's there, chips in and he says, you know what? I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says like, I want to be formal, right? but I'm here to party too. And I like to party, so I want my Jesus to party. And then this kid chips in and says, you know what, I picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. Cal speaks up again and he says, I like to think of Jesus with like giant eagle's wings and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with like this big angel band behind him and I'm in the front row rocking on. And so Ricky continues and he says, dear eight pound, six ounce newborn infant Jesus, We thank you for all the races I've won and the $21.2 million. And everyone at the table goes, woo, woo, woo. And he says, love that money. You know, it's amazing how comedies can really expose the foolishness of culture. Uh, Both American culture, but also church culture. We live in a culture that believes that really you can make Jesus whomever or whatever you want. It's kind of like different Barbie dolls, right? You can have eternally baby Jesus. You can have t-shirt tuxedo wearing Jesus. You can have ninja fighting Jesus. You can have rock star Jesus. You can have genie in the bottle Jesus that's ready to give you money and victory and fame and all that you want. You can pick the Jesus of your dreams. The absurdity of defining Jesus' identity according to our individual desires follows our cultural model, which is what is good for you is good for you, and what is good for me is good for me. But there's a problem. When we make Jesus into the Jesus of our own liking, it doesn't work out. You see, it is silly and simply unintelligent to think Jesus identifies himself contingent on our desires, but also ignores what Jesus in scriptures says about him. But the biggest problem about defining Jesus in our own terms, according to our own passions, is it is never as good as the real Jesus. Never as good as the real Jesus. And so today from John chapter 1, we want to answer this one question. Who does God say baby Jesus is? Now, Gospel of John approaches the Christmas story different than the other Gospels. Mark doesn't mention much about the Christmas story. Matthew and Luke approaches the Christmas story from a historical perspective, talking about who the parents are, where Jesus was born, things like that. It tells the story. But John approaches the Christmas story not by telling historical details, but more by unfolding the majesty and the meaning and the ramifications of Christmas. So let's read together John 1, 
verses 1 through 18. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to your word this morning confessing that that there are many times we try to create a Jesus in our own image. That we try to create a Jesus that accommodates to our desires and even our thoughts. God, pray that you would conform us to the true Jesus. That we would know who this true Jesus is. That Christmas may become even more joyful as we focus not on things or on other people, but our primary focus becomes the glorious Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. As we marinate on this passage, which has a lot in it, there are just four things I want to pull out about what God says is the identity of this baby Jesus. The first is that baby Jesus is your God, that baby Jesus is a man, that baby Jesus is our reject, and that baby Jesus is the light of life. So first, baby Jesus is your God. John says it very clear here at the beginning in verse 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word. When we look later in verse 14, we know that the Word is talking about Jesus. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Again, John doesn't say that Jesus was like God or simply that he was sent from God, but that Jesus was God. And the reason he uses the past tense is to show us that Jesus is eternal, that he was with God from the beginning, from before the creation of the world, when nothing existed except for God. And then he calls him the Word, the Logos, which was of central importance both to the Greeks, and to the Jews of the time. You see, for Greek philosophers, the logos, the, the word, occupied much of their discussion and their debate in, in, throughout the past, previous 700 years before Jesus. Matter of fact, in 400 BC, Plato wrote this. It's amazing when you hear it. He says, it may be that someday there will come forth from God a word, a logos, who will reveal all mysteries and make everything plain. And so to the Greek philosophers, 
John is saying, listen, that word that you have been looking for, you have been longing for, to make all things plain that would come from God, that word has come in the form of Jesus. Now, the, the word was not only precious to Greek philosophers, but of course, to the faithful Jews. If you notice here, John starts his gospel the same way the Bible starts. In Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then here, when we turn to John 1.1, he says, in the beginning, again, before the universe began, before time began, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, that is in relation to God, and the word was God. You know, when you think about the role of the word in the creation account, the word is absolutely powerful. God sees that, that, that everything is, is without form, and then he commands by his word for, for the earth to come into existence. And, and he sees it as dark, and by his word he says, let there be light, and there is light. And he says, let there be plants, and there are plants. He speaks, and the word is powerful to create. You know, I always tell people, I believe in the Big Bang Theory and the fact that God spoke and bang, it happens. It's created. His word is powerful. You know, I've heard that in some houses, not in my own houses, uh, my own house. Sorry, I only have one house, just to be clear. All right. I've heard in other people's houses, but this never happens in my house, that when it's bedtime, the parents will say to the kids, all right, get upstairs, go brush your teeth, go potty, get your pajamas on and get to bed. And when they say these things, nothing happens, right? It's like you're speaking into a black hole. It just it vaporizes in the air. And so they say again and again and again, come on, time to go upstairs. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, come on, let's go, right? And it takes forever to get them upstairs. You see, no matter how powerless your words may be at times, God's word is always powerful. God's word created the universe. I mean, can you imagine? Let there be light. Boom, light. God's word is powerful. Christ is the word of God. Christ comes in power. And so in verse 1, we're told, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And it's followed by this amazing statement of verse 2 and 3. He was in the beginning, and all things were made through him, through Jesus, and without Jesus was not anything made that was made. Jesus is both the creative power of God, but also the recreative power of God. Jesus, as the word, the logos, means Jesus is the power of God, but he is also the message of God. You see, if you look through the Old Testament, what we see is this is not just a collection of, of men's writings, but this is the very word of God. This is what the Jews believe. This is what we believe. It displays the character of God, the plan of God, the good news of God. And Jesus is that word, which means Jesus reflects all of these things. Jesus is the story of God. He is the plan of God. He is the good news of God. He is the character of God. He is the glory of God in human form. John continues, not only is Jesus creator God and word of God, but he is also the fullness of God. Verse 18, John says, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. And he says this, that Jesus has made him known. Hebrews 1.3 puts it this way. It says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature nature, excuse me. Colossians 1.15 says, 
Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the, the visible of the invisible God. John 14, Jesus himself says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so what do we learn about baby Jesus in John 1, 1 through 18? Well, we learn that he is the word of God. He is the power of God. He has the character of God, the exact imprint of God. He is creator God. He is sustainer God. All of us to tell us that Jesus is himself God in the flesh. And you know what? It does not matter what our opinion is on this matter. God is not taking a vote or taking a popularity poll. Jesus is your God, whether you acknowledge him to be your God or not. Think of it this way. Think, maybe you have a friend, okay? I hope you have a friend, maybe more than one. Be good. And your friend decides to join a cult, right? And they go to rural Wisconsin, and they deny that the, that the U.S. government has any authority over them at all, okay? So they try to operate through life pretending like the U.S. government has no authority over them. And so they start printing their own money, duplicating U.S. money, U.S. currency. And they go around to shops and they start spending it, right? If they do this, they're going to find out very quickly that it does not matter if they believe the U.S. government has authority over them. They will have authority over them. They will come. They will storm the compound. They will put them on trial. They will put them in jail because there is an actual authority over them, even if they deny it. In the same way, whether or not you believe Jesus is your God, Jesus is your God. Jesus is God over all. In Philippians 2, we are told that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That is, those who deny Jesus is God. They will bow and they will confess him to be Lord because every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is God over all he has created, over all people, including you. And so first we learn that baby Jesus is your God. Secondly, baby Jesus is a man. Verse 14 says, And the word, that is Jesus, eternal God, became flesh and dwelt, literally tabernacled among us. John 1.14 presents the doctrine of the incarnation. It's a word that you've probably heard of. Uh, it's not actually hard to understand. Simply defined, incarnation is the doctrine that the second person of the Trinity assumed human form in the person of Jesus Christ. This definition isn't hard to understand because we've kind of grown up in the atmosphere. We breathe this. We, we think about it every Christmas. But the reality of the incarnation should stretch our imagination. I mean, imagine this Christmas, what it means that God became a man. Max Licato, in his book, God Came Near, has a chapter entitled 25 Questions for Mary. That is 25 questions for Mary, the mother of Jesus. Questions that he would ask Mary if he saw her. Some of my favorite questions go like this. What was it like watching Jesus pray? Do you ever feel awkward teaching Jesus how he created the world? Did, did the thought ever occur to you that the God to whom you were praying was asleep under your own roof? And this is my favorite. Did you ever think, hey, that's God eating my soup? See, the incarnation isn't hard to understand, but it should stretch our imagination that the God, the creator of the universe, the uncreated creator was created in the womb of a teenage girl. One of my friends texted me yesterday. He heard this quote on the radio that said, Jesus is the first infant to choose his parents. I would add to that, Jesus is the first child to create his parents right? 
The incarnation is so easy to understand, but please let it stretch your imagination. Because the fact that God became a man is really quite unbelievable. When you think about it, throughout the Jewish culture, they always profess that God could not be a man, that God could not be seen. God is too glorious. And yet on Christmas, God becomes a man. Going back to verse 14, they said the word became flesh. God became human. This means Jesus, again, is the story of God, the law of God, the character of God, the power of God, the plan of God, the good news of God, not merely as writings or as utterances, but as a human being. Jesus is the good news enfleshed. Verse 14 continues, says, And the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses asked God, he says, Lord, can I see your glory? And God responds saying, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. In Isaiah 6, there's this beautiful story in which there's these seraphim, these six-winged creatures, and they're circling the throne of God, and they're singing day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so these six-winged creatures are flying around God doing this, and two of the wings are designated to cover their eyes because God is so glorious that if they were to catch a glimpse of him, they would perish, not because they're sinful, but because God is that glorious. But here we are told that God became flesh, that the glory of God was represented in human form, that we could see a glimpse of the glory of God. Friends, if the, if the incarnation is true, if God really became a man, the implications for our life go deep. The, the first, let me just give you three implications. The first implication is this. If God really became a man, then this means God understands what you are going through. If you have been rejected, if you have been turned away, if you've been insulted, if you've been betrayed, if you've had a, a cold, if you've been in chronic pain, if, you are, if you're awaiting death, if it's close at hand, or, or if you die, God knows it. God understands. God has been through it in his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so if the incarnation is true, then God understands the pain you go through. But secondly, if Jesus became a man, then that means Jesus is able to be your representative and mine. It means that Jesus could represent humanity before a holy God, that he could take on our sin at the cross and give us his righteousness. But thirdly, if Jesus became a man, then that means Jesus is able to change our hearts, to be incarnational to the world around us. Let me give you an example. There's a story that Pastor Leith Anderson tells about one year when he went to Manila to go visit the city. And he drove around the city, and then they took him outside the city to this trash dump, to this garbage dump. And he saw living on this garbage dump thousands of people, people that didn't just visit the trash dump, but actually lived on this garbage dump. They would build their houses out of the garbage. They would get their food out of the garbage. They would, people would be born and raised. Some people had never left the garbage dump. And so he went there and he saw this and his heart was so broken by it. But then he saw something that was even more startling. 
that on that garbage dump was some American missionaries going and telling others the good news of Jesus. But what was more startling about this was that these American missionaries didn't only go visit the garbage dump, they actually lived in the garbage dump. They lived there with all of those people to tell them the good news of Jesus. I mean, these are people who know what it's like to have indoor plumbing. They know what it's like to have a furnace, to have air conditioning. They know what it's like to have a nice cozy couch or go out to eat. They know all of the comforts of living in America. And they traded it all to go live on a trash heap in Manila to tell others the good news of Jesus. Why would they do something like that? Because that's exactly what their God did for them. You know, we cannot start to fathom the glory of heaven, the comfort of heaven, the joy of heaven, the celebration of heaven, the peace of heaven. And yet Jesus traded all of that to come into the brokenness of our world, to come into the brokenness of your life. See, we can be incarnate in other people's worlds because that's exactly what God did for us. I mean, think about it. Why would you incarnate yourself into someone else's life that is very messy, that that drains your energy? Or why would you incarnate yourself into someone else's life who's suffering the consequences of their own sin, right? Or or why would, as a church, we're going, starting in January, we're going to go to Oddfellows Nursing Home. Why would we incarnate ourselves into that, 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 it's not a nursing home, it's a, uh, what's it called? I don't know. Elderly living facility, whatever it is. But why would we incarnate ourselves into that community where those people can't pay us back anything? It's because that's what God has done for us. That God has come into the brokenness of our life to bring restoration, to bring joy, to bring the love of God. And so we learn through this passage that Jesus is, in fact, our God. That Jesus did become a man. And thirdly, that Jesus is our reject. I realize that calling your Lord and Savior a reject seems irreverent. Uh, Probably not the typical Christmas message, right? But I would argue that as we look at this passage and throughout the Gospel of John, what we see is not only was Jesus a reject, but he was the biggest reject to ever walk the face of the earth. John highlights this here in this passage, showing us, first off, that Jesus was rejected by humanity. Verse 10. It says, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Those who Jesus created, those who Jesus was sustaining, those who Jesus was caring for, saw him, and they knew him not. Their hearts were so darkened by their own sin that they rejected him. And later, they ended up spitting on him, cursing at him, ridiculing him, and nailing him to a cross. Jesus was not only rejected by humanity, but more specifically, Jesus was also rejected by God's people, the Jews. Verse 12, I'm sorry, verse 11 says this, he came to his own and his own people, the Jews, did not receive him. Even the people of God, those that knew the prophecies of the Christ that was to come, those who longed for the Christ and Messiah to come, They saw him, they saw the signs, and yet they rejected him. They were the ones stirring the crowd, yelling out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus was rejected by humanity, rejected by his own people. You can imagine how painful it is for the creator to be rejected by his own creation. My senior year of high school, 
for spring break. Spring break is supposed to be a big thing when you're senior in high school. And I lived in St. Louis, and, and my sister lived in Pensacola. And so I asked some friends, hey, you want to go to my sister's for spring break in Pensacola? And so we got together, me and my two buddies, and we drove down to Pensacola, Florida, and we hung out there for a few days. One morning, midway through the week, I can't remember which morning, but one morning I woke up and my friends were gone. They just left. Uh, and so finally I caught up with them on the phone and I was like, hey, where are you? Like, are you okay? And they said, well, we wanted to go hang out with these other friends. And I'm like, why didn't you let me know? Well, we didn't want to wake you up early and we figured you wanted to hang out with your sister, right? We all know what was going on, right? I got rejected. It was painful. It was hurtful. You all know the pain of rejection, don't you? Maybe you've been rejected by a friend, rejected by a family member. Maybe you have even been rejected by your own parents. Because the incarnation is too true, Jesus understands the pain you go through with rejection. See, yes, Jesus was rejected by humanity. Jesus was rejected by God's people. But this wasn't even his greatest rejection. The greatest rejection Jesus experienced is the greatest rejection in the history of the world. It's a rejection Jesus received when he was hanging on the cross. Mark 15 records it for us. It says, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabathana, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was not only rejected by humanity. He was not only rejected by the Jews. Jesus was rejected by God himself. As a matter of fact, Jesus was incarnate to be rejected on our behalf. That we would never have to be rejected by God the rest of eternity. You see, Jesus became a man to be rejected by his heavenly father. To be rejected by the one who created the universe with. To be rejected by the one he most loved and who most loved him. And he suffered this rejection for you and for me. That we will never have to be rejected by God ever again. And this leads us to our final point. You know, that baby Jesus is the light life. Excuse me. Baby Jesus is the life light. He's not the night light. He's not the flashlight. He's the life light. If you're here last week, we looked at a prophecy that was given 700 years before Jesus was born. It was looking forward, pointing forward to the Christ that was to come and the hope that was found in him. Isaiah 9-2, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And then we get to John 1-4. And it says, In Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men. Again, John is drawing us back to the creation account. We read in Genesis 1 that darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Then as creation goes on, God gives life. He gives life to, to plants and to animals and then to human beings. And I love the imagery of Genesis chapter 2 of God creating a man. When, he says it, when it says this, the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And so God creates the world. He creates humanity. He creates light. He creates life. And it is paradise. 
But then all of that is disrupted. God says to Adam and Eve, don't eat of this forbidden fruit. You know how that story goes? They eat of it. And what comes into the world? Death and darkness. And it spreads everywhere. And so it brings relational death and darkness. Moral death and darkness. Spiritual death and darkness. If you look in Ephesians, Paul says that we were darkened in our understanding, alienated from the life of God. And then in Ephesians 5 says something even more serious. He says that apart from Christ, we are darkness. It's not just that we live in darkness or that that we are clouded by darkness, but apart from Christ, we are darkness. And that's what makes the words of John 1-4 so sweet. That in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The creator of life has returned to restore life to dead people in a dead world. The creator of light has come to restore light to a dark people and a dark world. The light of truth, the light of love, the light of God himself. And he gives us this great promise in verse 5, that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light of the world, Jesus Christ, will not be snuffed out. He will not be blown out, and he cannot be washed out. He is the light of the world, the joy for those who have been dwelling in darkness. I've shared this story before, but I think it's such a powerful illustration of how glorious light is. In Tromso, Norway, which is the second largest metropolitan city north of the Arctic Circle, the sun remains below the mountains from November 21st to January 21st. For two months, they experience what is called polar night. And so for two months, there is no sun. So you wake up and it's dark out. You go to work and it's dark out. You go to lunch and it's dark out. You come home and it's dark out. You go to bed and it's dark out. And this repeats for two months, okay? Two days, it might be kind of cool, kind of quirky. For two months, could you imagine how absolutely depressing that would be? I think it's bad enough here. But for two months to have no sunlight at all would be horrific. But you can imagine the celebration when the sun first pierces the darkness. After those two months, they have this festival called the Aurora Festival. It's a celebration of the day of the sun. That is the day when after two months of complete darkness, the sun pierces the light. And they throw a celebration of great joy. For Christians, Christmas, the birth of baby Jesus, is our annual Aurora Festival the day of the sun, the day when we celebrate that God has shattered the darkness. He has pierced the darkness and flooded it with the light of his sun. Friends, do you come here today trapped in darkness? You feel like you're a jack-o'-lantern with no candle inside of it, just dark and hollow inside. Or you feel like a house with, with no lights on. Maybe you're searching for for light and for life and you're grasping here and there and everywhere and you can't seem to find anything to give you life deep in your soul. The good news of Christmas is that God has sent light. God has sent life in his son, Jesus Christ. John the Baptist testifies to this. If you want to look with me, verse six is verse six through nine. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist. John came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that is Jesus that all might believe through him. He was not the light, John, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which enlightens 
everyone, not just the Jews, but all mankind, Gentiles, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, was coming into the world. See, John is telling us that light has come and how we can have that light, how we can have that life within us. Verse 7, it says that John the Baptist came to bear witness, to bear witness about the light. Why? That all might believe through him. How do we receive this light? By believing. Verse 12 continues, says, but to all who did receive him. What does it mean to receive Jesus? Well, John tells us, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So what does it mean to receive Jesus? What does it mean to believe in the name of Jesus? Well, simply put, it just means to believe everything John has just told us in the first 18 verses of his gospel. And so let me ask you, do you believe these things? Do you believe that Jesus is your God and therefore your Lord? Do you believe that Jesus is a man and therefore able to be your representative and substitute? Do you believe that Jesus is your reject? He was rejected for your sin so that you could be accepted despite your sin. Do you believe that Jesus is the light of life? That after dying on the cross, he rose from the dead to give us new life. If you believe these things, if you believe in the name of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus, then we can come on Christmas and worship this child who has replaced the darkness with light, who has brought us from death to life, who has made us children of God. Let me end with this. Who is dear baby Jesus? See a ninja? See a rock star? See a genie waiting to give us all that we wish and hope for? No, he's something far greater than that. According to scripture, baby Jesus is your God whether you acknowledge him to be or not. That baby Jesus is a man, God in the flesh, the word made flesh. That baby Jesus is our reject, that he was rejected by us and then rejected for us. And that baby Jesus is the light, life of the world. Now you may be here today and thinking, you know what, I believe all these things. I believe Jesus is all that he says that he is. But, but please don't ask me to be a zealot for Christianity. Please don't, please don't ask me to kind of center my entire life around this baby Jesus. I just want a little bit of Jesus at Christmas, a little bit of baby or Jesus at Easter, or a little bit of Jesus on Sundays, but not throughout the week. But, but don't ask me to be like a Jesus freak. I don't have the time for that, nor am I weird enough to do that. Here's the problem, friends, is that if everything John claims is true, You can't just have a partial Jesus. Jesus has to take over your entire life if all the things that John says about Jesus are true. Imagine it this way. Let's say you get home from church today and you look at your doorstep and you see a peculiar object on your doorstep. And so you walk up to see what it is and you notice it is a baby in a a child care care seat. And, And on there is a little note that says, this child is yours, okay? If that happens to you, you really have two options, okay? You can either reject that child, call protective services, have them come pick up this child and take him away, or you can receive that child, and that child will change everything about your life, everything. Change your finances, change your, change your schedule, change your motivations, your passions, change everything, right? 
But what you cannot do is you cannot just simply remain indifferent towards that child. Because if you remain indifferent towards that child, if you come up and you look at this child like an Amazon package and say, oh, that's nice, and you move on with your day, then ultimately what you've done is you have rejected that child. What Christmas tells us is that God has placed a baby on the doorstep of our heart. And the, the, the implication, the identity claims are so, so crazy, so glorious, that you can't remain indifferent towards this baby, this baby Jesus. You either have to accept him and let him change your entire life, or you have to reject him and say, he was a liar, he was a lunatic, he was a weirdo. You cannot say he was just a good guy, a moral teacher, or anything of that sort. You either have to bow down and worship him as Lord, or you have to reject him as a lunatic. Because if you stay indifferent towards him, that's the same thing as rejecting him. And so friends, let me ask you, this Christmas, this Christmas gift of Jesus, what do you want to do with him? Do you want to receive him more and more into your heart, into your life? Let him conform you and change you into the image of himself. Or do you want to reject him, writing him off as a crazy man? Because there is no in-between. You cannot just take him as a good teacher. You cannot just take him as a friend. He either is Lord of your life or he is absolutely crazy. Church, we'll sing in a second these words. Oh, come, let us adore him. This baby Jesus is the Christ. He is our Lord, and he deserves every single part of us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you broke the darkness with the great light of your son, Jesus Christ. That you did not let us continue to grope around in darkness, searching for life and light and all the vain things of this world, but that you have given us the most glorious Christmas gift of all. You have given us your only son. And Lord, we thank you that he has been rejected on our behalf, that we can be accepted by you for all eternity. God, let us rejoice in glory and the good news of Christmas today, tomorrow, and forevermore. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.